This is Spend Time and Do Business in Aurora, where we talk to local businesses about their journey, how they got started, where they see themselves going, and helpful information if you want to start your own business. I'm Justice Roden with the Aurora Chamber of Commerce. We are joined here today by Tina Larson, the Executive Director of the Plainsman Museum. Do you mind introducing yourself to us? My name is Tina Larson. I am the Executive Director here at the Plainsman Museum. I moved here from Massachusetts 20, almost 28 years ago. And after about five years of being here and realizing I wasn't getting it, if you know what I mean, and that I needed to understand where I was living because it was a little bit different. Somebody suggested that I go out to the Plainsman Museum and volunteer because they always needed volunteers. And that way you could start to hear the story of the place. And I have been here for 22 years as a volunteer or on staff with a constant relationship with this place over time. And that is how I sit at this desk today. <laughs> Perfect. We know that the Plainsman Museum is the history of Hamilton County. That's right. Can you tell us some history about how the history started? That's right. Back prior to 1935, Joe Gunnerson and some others would have displays of artifacts at the county fair. And they'd bring out cases. I mean, these are things that we've read about. And they would have all these displays. And then around 1935, with the help of Frank Edgerton and Zelda Stanley, she was with the um, Daughters of the American Revolution chapter, Twin Cottonwoods chapter. They all decided they needed to form a museum and a, Hamilton, and a historical society, which is when the Hamilton Historical Society started, was in 1935, because they were losing their artifacts and history. They were either being thrown out or they just saw that this was not a good thing. Now, the funny thing about that was when they built the new courthouse that we have today, they made a room specifically in the basement at that time for the museum. And if you were to go to the extension office today, there is a door there that says museum on it. And it took them, what, 30 years plus before they decided to actually use the room for the purpose it was intended. So they started the museum there in 1935. It was called the Hamilton County Museum, not the Plainsman that comes later. They started to fill it up and by 19... 43-ish. I mean, they were just busting at the seams. They could not contain the collection as it was coming in. So they went over to what would have been the T.E. Williams house, which we now know today as the Auto House uptown, just a block off the square. And at the time, the county let them have it and eventually they were busting at the seams by the 1960s. The building was even becoming rather dilapidated. People have lots of stories they can tell you who were children that used to walk through the museum. So in 1969, Wesley Hunefeld kind of got the Hamilton County Historical Society kind of resurrected. Um, it had kind of faded off in membership. It took about nine years to raise the money and have the full vision for a actual museum. And there were many different things that came across the board for that. Um, at one time it was proposed to have it down in Streeter Park. Let's put a museum down there where there can be activity and people going by. But eventually they purchased the property that you will see where we are today. And it was a grassroots movement and they just raised the money. And July 4th, 1976, as a bicentennial project, they opened the doors of the Plainsman Museum. And 10 years later, the collection was so big, <laughs> they had to build the agricultural building in the back. That is the quick history of how we all came to be where we are today, collecting and uh, preserving the history. You kind of explained why we felt we needed this. Yeah. 
you know, we all know that history we need to keep. Right. Yeah. How do you guys still keep collecting more history? Do people just bring it in or how right. does that process work? The interesting thing about our museum is that we haven't bought anything. It's all just given to us. So when you think, I can't even give you the full number, but it's well over 50,000 pieces of history that are here. And I'm including documents and photographs and maps and flags and dolls. I mean, it goes on and on and on. Um, we don't have a full count of what it is, but it's all been given to us. Today, I still receive donate. I bet I'll get donations every week. Somebody will bring something in. I have a quilt on its way from California. I mean, you never know when somebody's going to call and say, we have had people find photographs, documents, and different things in garage sales in other states. And they see Aurora, Nebraska, or uh, Stockholm, Nebraska, anything, Giltner. They're just so good about making sure people have their story that they will look us up online for our historical society, of which the Plainsman is overseen by the historical society. They'll get our address and phone number and just contact us or email me and say, look, I really want you to have this. It's postcards that are usually pictures of buildings and that kind of thing. It's important that we have an online presence because that's how we get in touch with people in other places. But the truth of the matter is people are just constantly bringing us stuff. And we encourage greatly that if you know the story of the object, please write it down when you bring it in because that makes the whole story of the object more interesting to the public, but it also helps me to know where to place it in the whole line and story of Hamilton County. So you've been here for a long time. Yes, I Not have. just you, but the building has been yes. here for a long yeah. time. <laughs> what uh, kind of struggles or barriers, because you said it was a grassroots movement. Right. I'm sure yeah. there was something that happened along the way. Well, yes. It was a grassroots movement because the Historical Society, you know, as they resurrected in 1969, they went door to door to raise the money for this. We are fortunate in Hamilton County as you well know, that we have not just the Hamilton Community Foundation, but other foundations that over the years have helped not just the Plainsman Museum, but other nonprofits. Uh, we're called nonprofit for a reason. We're not in it to make money, but you have to have something in order to main, you know, keep the doors open and you have to staff it and that kind of thing. But those individuals and organizations have been key to helping all of us realize the potential that we have and pay for it. I'm going to go down a rabbit hole a little bit, but there's a point to it. We had a meeting during COVID, the Buildings and Grounds Committee and I, about our agricultural building, which has had to be gutted because of a mold issue and that kind of thing, and we're trying to put it back together. But so much of what nonprofits like ourselves have to do is what can you afford to do? And when you can't afford much, you can't do much. And we are fortunate that we have a lot of volunteers with a lot of skills that they bring those to the table and it saves us a lot of money that way. But what I, as we were sitting in the meeting, I finally said, you know, if money was not an issue, if money was not an issue, what would you dream of doing with this building? And I thought they would sit there, the four gentlemen I was talking to, and kind of go, well, I don't know. No, right out of the gate. Oh, we turned this into an agricultural learning center, and we'd put an archway over here, and we'd redo the bathrooms, and we'd, and it just started coming out that they had all these dreams and ideas of things, and I, I'm trying to write them all down, but at the same time, I was floored because I didn't, 
realize that when you can't afford something, you kind of stifle creativity and dreaming because people look at the bottom line and say, well, I won't bring that up. We can't afford to do it. We are fortunate though that our foundations and donors all over the county have made a lot of things possible. The tough part for nonprofits, if you want to look at it, is sustained giving. Where do I go to get enough money to pay a staff to keep the doors open and the lights on and know that I have that money coming in next year? So you end up having to be as creative and innovative as you can to get the sustained giving. I think that's probably the hardest thing, but it's kind of fun to take now and just see what people are dreaming of. And I think if you went all over the county, you'd see, you know, everything from the Edgerton Center to the softball fields to soccer field. I mean, you know, even up into Hordeville, all those areas, um, Phillips, the community halls, you know, people are having dreams and they're trying to make them come to fruition. Sometimes it's, the, of course, the money. We are fortunate to live in a county that can actually try to see past that and make opportunities happen. If someone wanted to get involved with the Plainsman, mm -hmm. what are some suggestions of how they can get involved? We have a great crew of volunteers, they, and they're all retired. During the summer and some other times when we have some festivals, we will have some teenagers that will come and help us. So the younger generation is involved. And our board of directors is key to everything that we do. And those are a lot of folks that work in the community and have a vision as well for history, and we appreciate all that input. I usually have people, if they want to volunteer, come visit with me first. Let's find out what do you really think volunteering at the museum actually looks like, and it may or may not fit what you're thinking. But one of the biggest things, and I just go back to this, is you know when people tell me you know there's not much I can do for you I'll say just go and speak well of us that's the best thing that you can do when people leave here from other states countries actually as well and they say wow this is great we just ask them to speak well of us network and just tell people what your experience was here and then of course there's always donations maybe you know key to it is please don't throw away anything historical <laughs> please don't, you know, call us and let us know if we, you know, if it is moldy or, you know, if it's something that cannot be in the collection, we will tell you. Um, we won't just take it. But donations of artifacts and things that are important to the history are usually found in scrapbooks that people have from family members of years ago. And they don't even realize that what the photographic history is for us. And the second thing is, um, on that same note, is buy a membership because that's where my sustained giving comes. I cannot pay salaries and things from grants. I have to actually apply it to programming and to specific things. Memberships, and we will offer a wide range of those, really help every year when you do that to give us sustained giving so that we have some idea of what, what kind of income are we gonna see next year and what, who can we employ and what should we be looking at for a vision. So those are ways you can do that. How many people on average every year do you think you see? Well, it's changed over the years and we usually have about 1,300 school students that will come through when we have full roster of school tours and it can range upwards to 6,000, 7,000 people coming through. As I said, that number can 
fluctuate. And right now I can't really give you much of a number because the travel in the last 14 months hasn't been that good. Yep. But it's coming around. I know you and I have had conversations about you get a lot of people that just kind of travel like RVs, those types of things, right. and hit every mm -hmm. museum. Yep. And I did see that you guys had just joined the NARM. Yes. Can you talk a little bit yeah. about that? NARM, North American Reciprocal Museum. I had looked at this before, and then last year I asked the board if we could just, it's it's a fee on our part. We pay uh, $300 for a two-year membership into NARM. NARM's goal is to get membership built up in museums. So you do not buy a membership to NARM. NARM wants you to buy a membership at a $100 level. It has to be a $100 level membership, which we have at Century Club or Lifetime Plus. And you get one of our membership cards with their seal on the bottom corner. And what this does is there's over 1,200 museums in North America and a couple of other countries close to us where you can travel with the reciprocal membership or you could go in for free depending on the museum. Some museums will let you in if you have a $100 membership. But this increases your membership card at that level from the Plainsman to visit 1200 and there's about eight or nine in the state of Nebraska that are on right now that you could go to. But if you were planning to just take a road trip across the United States and you wanted to say, gee, I think, you know, this, they have a website, you can print off the catalog and listing of all these things. I have one that I use, but NARM has made your membership at the Plainsman much more valuable than to just say, oh, we can get into the museum, which, I think is great. <laughs> but I want you to be able to have more of an experience because of your membership to the Plainsman than just a fairly narrow one. NARM just seemed right for us to, to do that. And so I highly recommend that if you are people that travel, and it, it makes a great gift too, if you have, you know, grandkids and your family like to travel. And then you can look up these museums yourself and find out what your membership will do when you get there. Will I get in for free? Will I get in for 50% off? Will I get in, you know, what will it be? But it's guaranteed that you will have a discount when you go to these museums. And the other thing too is we're on their list. And that's what we've been pushing to do here. Get on, we're a Blue Star Museum active military from Memorial Day to early September. If you are active military, you and your family get into all these museums on the Blue Star listing for free. Free vacation and there's no question. So we are trying to get ourselves out there beyond Hamilton County, beyond the state of Nebraska to get on the list to show people that we are right off I-80, America's Highway, come on in. <laughs> Come on down. <laughs> well, so you're with all these organizations mm -hmm. that now expose you to more. Yeah. What is the coolest story that you've had, I guess, come through the doors or furthest people that have ever come to visit the Plainsman? Oh, the furthest people have ever come. Wow. Australia. I mean, there are in people traveling internationally. So, you know, we've met a lot of people. The most interesting, st well, you know, Justice, I found everybody interesting. <laughs> I mean, I do. I love to talk to everybody. Everybody's interesting to me. Um, and I think that I'm going to sum it up that way because people will come into this place and just start telling us their story. They've never met us and they start telling us their story. I think 
One of the most interesting is someone I've never met because of her age. I think it's been seven years that Gloria Stanley and I have communicated by email. And I'll tell you as briefly as I can, she emailed and wanted information about our town of Aurora because she was writing her husband's memoirs. And every, every so often somebody will think their relative is just, and, and you should think your relative is the best. Here's the funny thing about the story is we never had heard the name M.F. Stanley or M.E. Stanley, Marion Edward Stanley. And so at that time, Megan Sharp was the director and I said, well, I guess I'll get around to that as soon as I can. I walked down the boardwalk we have here and we have a sign that hangs there with a list of all the local lawyers from about the turn of the last century. Bold as could be was M.F. Stanley. See, when you don't make yourself look for things, you don't see them. I couldn't believe it. This woman had just called me about this family just then. The long story short is um, Edward Stanley went on to become vice president of public relations at NBC. And we have his whole history here now and we are in communication with Gloria. And his mother was at Zelda who started the Hamilton County Historical Society with Frank. And in the early 1920s, after Edward graduated from Aurora High School, they moved into the Bates house, which happens to be on our property now. So interesting stories do come full circle and those are the fun ones for me. But Edward's life was, I mean, I can't even go into it now because it's just too lengthy, but we value every story. You never know where it's going to go. You guys have a big project that's going on yes. right now. Yep. Smithsonian is here. I'm sure everyone knows or are familiar with what the Smithsonian is. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, the confusion was people thought it was a Smithsonian exhibition from the Smithsonian. And it is not from the Smithsonian. What happened was in April of 2019, we actually were connected to this project by Humanities Nebraska. I really want to make sure everybody understands that they are kind of our conduit to finding out about a lot of opportunities that we would not normally know about. And we got an email to apply and at first I didn't because it had essay questions and I don't do essay questions. Sometimes I just don't, I'm like, oh man, I'm not in school anymore. <laughs> but then Mary Yeager sent out another email said, anybody wanna, I thought, all right, I'll take some time to fill out this application. The long and short of it is in April of 2019, not many weeks after we filled it out, we heard from the Smithsonian Museums on Main Street that we had been chosen as one of 10 small museums from across the entire country to participate in a pilot program where they were trying to, in its simplest form, figure out how to design a handbook for small museums based on what the Smithsonian knows about building exhibitions that they could translate into something we could use. And we were gonna try out using their handbook, make modifications, so on and so forth. COVID hit, put everything on the back burner. But we were able to open. Everything that you will see in this exhibition is supported by the Smithsonian because they approved our text. But all the text relates to Hamilton County. The photographs are all from Hamilton County. The artifacts are all from, you know, Hamilton County with an exception of a couple, but they helped to tell our story. And we felt very excited to be on this stage with this type of level of organization. 
and we hope that they will come and see it, send a representative to see what we have done. The committee was amazing. Brenda Clavon, Bruce Ramsauer, Jana Van Housen, Carrie Wyarda, Catherine Larson, and myself. And then, of course, our volunteers helped us to build and stage it, and we're very grateful for that. But we were only able to do this because of all the years of collecting and preservation that have gone on before us. Without that, we probably would not have been able to do this. But this is a big deal because we are now able to claim that we have gone out past Nebraska and made it on the national stage and we can tell this story. And there's no reason other small, I've said this before, museums, whether you're in a storefront or a small Victorian house, whatever it is, that's your story. And it's a value to you we can all learn to tell our story differently. There's no reason why we can't. But it's fun to have the opportunity to, to highlight Hamilton County, Nebraska. So you've done a lot in kind of the recent years. Mm -hmm. What are you thinking for the future of the Plainsman Museum? I'm hoping that we will build on this and not lose our momentum. Right now, we are working to get the agricultural building open. The Bates House is just a couple of weeks away from being reopened. But we've had to spend time in the last couple of years because of our age of our buildings and different things that we've had to update them. Either, you know, we've got lots of new lighting, new alarm systems, new ex exhibits. I mean, we, we really kind of hit our jumping off point and got real motivated and we've had the skills and our volunteers and different things and the support of the community. Because you do have to be able to, when you apply for grants, give them a vision. And that's caused us to look at our story and how we tell it all over again. Right now, it's sustained giving. We're trying to make ourselves, I don't know, we're just trying to get things where we can not have to get our hand out so much. We're just really, really trying to, to keep that. And, and we're restructuring how we staff and how we look at our infrastructure that way, engaging the community more and more. Not just, yeah, we drive by that big building all the time. We never thought to go in there. And I thought, well, we're trying to have more of a relationship with the schools and just, you know, it's up to us. It's not up to the community. The, the whole thing. We, we need to engage people and look at how we're doing that. And we know that. We, we are trying very hard to do that. So, And be a good partner to the chamber. That's the other thing. I'll beat you to the next question. But um, we, we really feel like we need to be part of the chamber. You know, we, we need to exercise our, our part in, in the fabric of the whole community and not just sit on the sidelines. So we're trying to do that. I hope. <laughs> That's our goal. You guys have had a lot of good things yeah. happen. Mm -hmm. What would you say was your biggest success? You can even say personally, you know. Yeah. You know, I think the biggest success is one that we hope to keep going. And that is we really want the community to talk about us and feel like we, we're friends. That we're completing our mission. That we are caring for your history, for the whole county, and that they can trust us to do that. I feel that we're affirmed in that as people are talking about us more. I mean, I can go to Aurora Mall to the grocery store and people will stop me and want to tell me a story. 
I mean, year, years ago, my girls would say, if you see anybody in the store you know, please don't talk to them. We'll be left sitting in the car forever. <laughs> but I think that's the key. When people bring you an artifact of, that's valuable to them, I'm not talking monetary. We don't even look at that. I'm going to tell you one story that really changed everything for me. Sarah Pollock was here. She was the director. And this woman came in with her granddaughter and she was going to be going into a care facility and she brought her doll to us, her China doll. And there was not a dry eye, it's so hard for me to tell the story, not a dry eye in the place. She brought her doll and she said, I can't pick which granddaughter should get it, so I'd like to give it to you. I mean, talk about responsibility right there, okay? But then she picked it up and cradled it and said goodbye to it. Oh, I mean, Justice, look at me, I'm gonna be a mess. It is, it, it, to me, that was, that's why you're here, okay? Because when people downsize and they start to get rid of things, we are so quick as the next generation to say, oh, just throw it away, just throw it away. I tell people, no, you don't understand, okay? That paperweight, that pen, that vase, who knows what it is, has a story that brings to mind and reminds the person of who was there, how did we feel, what was taking place, and that leads to all other stories. So when you tell somebody, take this object and let's just get rid of it, you're actually taking stories away because they know once that leaves the table or the countertop or the bedside, they're not going to look at it anymore and they're going to forget the story. Your stories come here. You can come and still remember them. And we hope that we display it in such a way that people will say to their grandchildren, oh, I had one of those when I was growing up because we're not all far from having to say to another child, ah, I remember, <laughs> you know, I mean, each day we, we go, that goes by, we all become part of history every single day that goes by. And so that doll for me was a turning point as far as story goes. We were a mess. It was, just <laughs> I'm just telling you, I still, and I'm not a terribly emotional person, but that connection to object and story is, was like an epiphany to me. And that's why I probably do what I do is because of that. Well, we're going to turn a little over. You kind of mentioned okay. before um, about joining the chamber. What made you guys want to be involved in the chamber to begin with? I've always been a community person, even when I was in Massachusetts, where we're from. I was involved in city committees and organizations. I mean, I've always had a heart for community. It's so important to me that the museum have a voice at the table. You need to be supported and sustained as much as we do. And I felt that we can't just expect to have a voice at the table. We have to be a part of being a contributor and a supporter and then come to the table and when you need it. And when people say, what can you help us with and what can you do? Because I feel like we're, we're vitally part of travel and tourism. We have to be part of travel and tourism. But if I'm at the table with other people like that, I learn more because I can't, you know, you, you have to get everybody together in order to cooperatively network. What, what are you all doing? What's going on? It's better for us as a county and a community if we all come to the table and have a conversation and know what each other's doing. We love it when people come here and say, 
when they're done touring, what can we do next? Where can we go? They want to know about this and that. But if I isolate myself out here and I don't get out and visit with everybody else, and the chamber provides those tables that we can come to with your subcommittees and other things that you're trying to do, if we can get there and here, then I'm far more, and it just looks good to visitors. It just looks good to visitors. They walk away going, boy, this community really, this was amazing adventure. So that's the important part for us as the museum is to get on board and support everybody else around us because what's good for you is good for me. Then we're kind of coming to the end of this. I want to ask the, the important question. Okay. What makes you guys unique to our community? Mm -hmm. It's probably the obvious answer, but <laughs> I think what makes us unique is just because we are the only person, uh, the only place that's housing your history of which many people will come and say, why is this and why is that? And so many people now are also very interested in renovating and restoring homes, apartments, buildings. There's just this real, they buy an acreage or they drive by and they see something in the field, they wanna know why. We are starting to become the resource. They're looking for old pictures to celebrate because now with Aurora turning 150, you are starting, you're gonna start now in the next several years. You know, you'll have Hampton next and we'll go to seven towns, you know, and you're gonna start seeing, and we'll do all the same things for all the other towns that we're doing for Aurora's 150th. And we're making a film for them, it's going to be great. I think that's probably the thing that makes us the most unique is we're holding your story. Nobody else is in its entirety. Is there anything that you would like to share to your future customers and your fellow business owners? I think what I would share is that the Hamilton County story has been, in one word, opportunity. And in studying the history, and actually, I've been transcribing the original minutes of the county commissioners starting in 1872, looking at how, it's mostly looking at Aurora becoming the county seat, and that story's gonna be an interesting one because that's been coupled with the railroad. And it's all coming out in the county commissioner minutes. But in transcribing them, what I want people to know and looking at all of the people that homesteaded, opportunity was it. And we need to keep a vision ahead of us of continuing to provide opportunity to the future. We tend to live quite a bit in the present and that's okay. But we have to live in the present, looking at the past saying, how was this done? What, I mean, th this happens every time there's a national crisis or, you know, something happens, people go, well, how did they, how did they do that? What, how did they come out of this? How, you know, with the pandemic, how did they survive the Spanish flu? You know, these types of things. But use your history to say, oh, I'm here today and I have this opportunity because somebody did something 30, 50, 100 years ago? Yes, and that it's up to you as these days pass and you go into history that you are creating something to hand to the next generation of store owners, restaurant owners, technicians, innovators, because they're gonna be here, healthcare workers, housing. What we do now with our opportunities do not serve just us. We need to be looking at how is this going to impact the future as I make my decisions and build on that. 
and we're hopefully going to keep that story alive here so you can see how did it happen because you can get energy from that and inspiration. I hope that's that would be my challenge to the business community and others. If anyone wanted to come contact you, yes. visit you, mm -hmm. how can they do that? We have an awesome website, plainsmanmuseum.org. Catherine has a real, she has a history degree. She's done a lot for us technology-wise. And we have designed our website and continue to update it. So when visitors go to it, they are connected to the restaurants, campgrounds. I mean, it's a full experience website. And so we hope that people will know once they go to our website, there's all these sorts of things that they can get from us. I always try to answer my emails within 24 hours of getting them, responding in some fashion. And we have great volunteers when they answer the phone. They've got a wealth of information. But our website um, has been developed so it can go on your phone, iPad, wherever. I mean, we've got people that drive down I-80 and say, I'm on my phone looking at you and can we, you know. I think the biggest shock for people who are traveling through is the size of our facility. That's probably the biggest thing that takes them by surprise is that we're this big and we have this much to offer. Thanks so much, Tina, for sitting thank down and you. talking with us. Well, thanks for everything you're doing, Justice. Appreciate your networking, everybody. Be sure to hit that follow button to check out our next business as we spend time and do business in Aurora. To find out more about the Aurora Chamber of Commerce and what we're doing and how you can get involved, visit auroranebraska.com.